FMX Network Production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blendsall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, Monday morning. Had another race yesterday, round 15. And you guessed it, yes, they were in Salt Lake again for the fifth consecutive round. Two to go. But we saw some pretty good racing yesterday, and man, I love that West Coast so much more than what we're seeing in the, the 250 East Coast. So that was fun. We'll get into that a little bit. But I wanted to uh, get a little shorter podcast in here just with some updates on yesterday's race. If you did not get to listen to the Saturday one, I thought that was uh, pretty good and a little preview did some fantasy talk in there since the Pulpamex fantasy podcast did not happen and that's just sheer overload we just didn't have time and guys couldn't all get uh, coordinated to make that one happen so I covered that a little bit on Saturday and uh, hopefully you uh, took some things away from that I know my team did very very well yesterday so I was excited about that but Another great race. The, the 450 race I thought was a little bit of a letdown. And you you kind of see this happen every year. And it's not really out of the norm. Uh, Eli Tomac has a nice lead. You know, going into the, to the race, he had 27 points. So he's just going to try to avoid disaster at all costs. And whether that's subconsciously or not, it's going to affect his decision-making and affect his, his risk management, which is totally fine. And, and I would be the same way. If he gets a chance to win, you can, you can bet he's going to try to win, but if he gets a bad start like he did, or, or was assisted into a bad start by Cooper Webb there, he actually kind of had the whole shot, but if he finds himself in a precarious position and he's going to have to take big risks to catch up to the likes of Ken Roxon and Cooper Webb, I think you can just count on him not doing that. He, he's going to manage risk the next two rounds, take what comes to him. If he can win and beat Cooper Webb in the next round, look for that. He will try to wrap this thing up at round 16. That way the pressure's off. But if, it, if it's going to require him to go in, into any sort of red zone where there's a chance that he could DNF or do anything stupid, it's out. He, he will be happy to go into round 17 with a 20 plus point lead. That, that's my opinion. The big question mark is, can Ken Roxon maintain the level he's at? Because that was certainly the best we've seen him this whole series going back to shoot. I don't even know what round you're talking, going back to, you know, February or March since we've seen Ken Roxon at that level. And, and I would say Atlanta would really be the last time we saw him that good, he was definitely good at Daytona, but we saw Tomac reel him in as well and really turn the tide for where the series seemed to be headed. But it was nice to see Kenny back, and we we know he's gone through all kinds of trials and tribulations with his health over the last few years, and it, it seems like it hasn't let up. He hasn't had any relief. 
Uh, but he certainly looked like he was on the road to recovery yesterday. But again, if he goes out Wednesday and has all kinds of difficulties and can't hold the pace and fades back, we won't be surprised because we've seen it too many times. You, you're really almost ready for anything with Kenny. You're ready for a breakout performance and dominating the race, or you're ready for him to really struggle and get fifth or sixth. Neither of those are surprising these days. I think really the only thing you can count on is that Eli Tomac and Cooper Webb over the course of 20 minutes plus a lap are going to be near the front. They've proven that time and time again. Since we have returned to Supercross, good start, bad start, doesn't seem to matter. They are just a step ahead. And I don't believe necessarily for Cooper Webb it's always a an overwhelming speed advantage. But he's so good at putting himself in the right position, whether it's on the start or on the first lap. Uh, you know, the whoops are not always his friend. He seems like he has a small liability there. But he finds a way when it matters to negate that. And we that's been going on for two years now. So I think we can pretty much count on it. It's very rare to find a racetrack where he cannot find a way to offset his perceived vulnerabilities. And, and he's done a much better job in the last year, well, this year anyway, of working around that whoop deficiency. And, you know, if you guys haven't noticed by the main events, most of the time it doesn't matter anyway. The, the whoops get beat down. And I think the, the Salt Lake round where it was pretty muddy was the, the only race in a long time where I saw the whoops really difficult still in the main event. There have just been so many races over the years where they'll rebuild them for the heat races. Maybe they're kind of tough there, but they just get smaller and smaller and smaller as the race goes on. And by the end, guys like Zach Osborne and Cooper Webb can jump them, find a rhythm through them, or blitz through a, a rut that's been made to really offset the speed from guys like Blake Baggett or Mookie or Eli Tomac, you know, the perceived really fast blitzers. Throw Ken Roxon into there as well. So that's been a trend that I think we just have to respect now. Uh, you're going to see Tomac and, and Webb at the front. I think Zach Osborne does, has done a very nice job of establishing him himself as one of the top four or five guys. And then I think you have to throw Mookie in there too. You know, Mookie's bike broke. His foot peg sheared off at round 14. But it was nice to see him bounce right back for round 15 and get into that mix because it, it's always – a question mark, right? You, you build momentum and then you have something bad happen to you, which, uh, you know, a bike mechanical DNF is, is not anything you can plan for or do anything about. But then he was right back, just like didn't miss a beat, didn't affect his confidence. He was right back in the mix with another fifth. So we're definitely seeing who did the work and who did not, who really, I don't even want to say took time off because that's not always fair, but they didn't really utilize the time to get better. How about that? And it, I don't think it'll mean anything for 2021. It's, it's going to be a whole new set of patterns and we'll, and we'll reassess. But I, I love watching this because over, we've had what, five races, you can really see that there is no hiding the, the effort level and the work put in over that 85 day stretch. So we're about to wrap one series and start another for the, the outdoor series and all that work will show up again. And keep in mind, they will have a full month off. So if the, some of these guys were struggling in these last seven rounds and they, and they maybe didn't do what they were supposed to be doing, 
I'm sure they're <laughs> very upset with themselves and they're probably rethinking what they did or didn't do. And maybe they will have time to turn it around and come out swinging for the first round at Ironman on July 18th. Now in the 250 West, it's been awesome, right? Everything that we felt like we were missing in the East, these guys have brought for the West. A much deeper class. And when I say deep, I don't mean Sexton and McElrath. They're they're great. And even Colt Nichols has really shown up too. I'm talking about the the depth from, you know, three, four, five, all the way through the top ten is a much stiffer level of competition than just what the East guys had left. There was such a high level of attrition on the East Coast. Not really their fault. Guys get hurt. J-Mart decided to go get ready for the, the outdoor series and, and retain his 250 status. March Banks got hurt. Uh, we just were losing guys over and over and over to where you're seeing guys like Julie Swole and these guys battling into, <laughs> they're going to get third in points most likely, which is, is crazy because if you, if you throw them into the West series, it's not going to go near as well as it is on the East. And that's just, it's just how these things go. We've seen that year in and year out. One coast is always more difficult than the other, but I don't know a time when it's been this much of a disparity. It just, yeah, just happens. Uh, and, and we'll see how this showdown goes uh, a week from yesterday, but you kind of feel like the West is going to dominate. Uh, it would not surprise me at all to see three guys from the East in the top 10 and seven guys from the West in the top 10. That, that, that's kind of what I expect. Maybe you'll see some variance because guys could crash in the first turn or whatever can happen, but just laying out the talent level, that seems like where it's going to come down. Now, if you're an Austin Forkner fan, this has been awesome. This has been exactly what you needed. And maybe, yes, you could have asked for Dylan Ferrandez to struggle a bit more. You could have asked for him to not get two second place finishes. That would have helped you. But you really needed Austin Forkner to, to win and win at all costs. And he's done exactly that. He has really raised his level coming off of San Diego, you know, a hundred and whatever it's been, 130 days ago. Great job by him. Uh, that's all you can do. And I, I keep coming back to who did the work and who didn't. I, I think I'm pretty sure Dylan Ferrandis has done the work. He looks really good, but I think Austin Forkner has done a good job of closing down that that gap because there certainly was a gap. Dylan Ferrandis was unquestionably the best 250 West racer leaving San Diego uh, in early February. Now, I don't know. I, I think they're very close. I think Dylan Ferrandis is riding a little bit championship in mind. And I don't think he means to, I don't think he's backed off, but it's really hard to ride as freely and loosely and take the chances that Austin Forkner will be willing to because Austin has nothing to lose. And when I say nothing to lose, I mean the championship is everything. These guys are not racing to try to get second in the series. They'll take it if they have to, but they're all thinking championship. And if you're going to look at any of these three as far as who's dropped off, I mean, Justin Cooper has really been the one that's taken it tough here. And I don't know, you know, we, we saw that big crash. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's been posted on social media. He had a huge get off about a week before this West Coast series resumed. So I don't know if it's a, a lingering effect there. I have a feeling that he rode a ton of outdoors, knowing that he is a very likely 
outdoor series championship contender, Lucas Oil Pro Motocross, that is. So maybe his focus was uh, a bit too much there. And, and time will tell on that. If he comes out swinging July 18th at Ironman, maybe he'll, he'll thank himself later. But you always look for reasons. Okay, if, if a guy's surging coming off a long break or a guy's lagging coming off a long break, what are the reasons for that? What do they do or not do to create that disparity? And it just seems like Forkner did the right things, or maybe he really went all in on his supercross prep and maybe Justin Cooper hedged his bets a little bit and maybe he's seeing the negative effects of that, but that could all turn around. Like I said, that could, everything we're seeing where you're like shaking your head at Justin Cooper about what could have been, maybe that turns around at Ironman and you're like, oh yeah, well there's, there's all that hard work. That's why he was suffering a bit at Salt Lake. And there can be other factors too. It doesn't have to just be that. It could be Justin struggling with altitude or elevation or lots of things. You know, when we watched, uh, if, if you watched the NBC Sports Gold app for the qualifying sessions on Sunday afternoon, Justin Cooper did not look good. And I, I say that in full transparency. If if I was talking to him and I, and I don't know him at all, I, I just have never really interacted with him. I would tell him like, dude, you didn't look very good. Like you got to sort the whoops out. You don't look as confident as, as normal. And I don't know what to attribute that to. That could be bike settings. It could be him. Uh, there, there are lots of re- possible reasons for it, but it, it certainly looked like he was struggling much more than normal. He's usually the guy that goes out and sets a blazing fast lap time and gets great starts and everybody else has to reconcile with that. He just didn't have that. He was kind of bouncing all over the place and just looked a little bit out of sorts. And that's, that's parlayed into his main event results too. So watch for the, that trend to continue into the showdown. The, the difficult part here is if you're a West coast guy and specifically Austin Forkner, you really need this showdown to be complete chaos because he's seven points down, which isn't a ton, but at the same time, Dylan Ferrandis is experienced. He knows exactly what the score is and his starts have kind of been on point. Like he, he got the whole shot on Sunday, which he normally doesn't do. And if he can get the whole shot in that showdown, that takes so much off the table as far as randomness that Austin Forkner needs. So watch for that being a big deal. Watch for in that showdown, watch for starting gate positioning between the teams. You know, uh, Jet Lawrence has been an incredibly good starter so far in these two rounds back. If you watch that heat race on Sunday, he was a full bike length ahead of everybody out of the gate. I, I still don't really know how he pulled that off, but it's just one of those things when everything goes perfectly, that's what you see. And, and Michael Essie was known for that. He would just nail everything to the absolute perfection level. And you just see somebody rocket out of the gate. So if you are team Geico Honda, I don't know how you really play into this on the, on the West coast. It kind of seems like it doesn't matter. But on the East Coast, if you are looking to help Chase Sexton, maybe you take a guy like Jet Lawrence and you take Christian Craig and Hunter Lawrence, who have all been great starters so far. Look at Hunter Lawrence's starts. He's been right there too. And you position those guys around, say, Shane McElrath. And you hope that he can, they can play a role to help Chase Sexton get this East Coast title. Now, as for the Geico guys, the riders, they probably don't care. They're not out there to help Chase Sexton. That's not really you know, what they signed up for. But at the same time, if you are the team owners and team managers, 
your job is to deliver championships. So you're looking at this as like, hey, we have to do everything we possibly can to bring a championship home for this team. You're not going to ask them to do anything stupid, but if you can line them up correspondingly to, hey, if you line up next the inside of McElrath and you get a jump and you can you can take the the leverage away from him going into the first turn, that does nothing but help our team. So I'm not saying they will or won't do that. It's just something that happens in these championship scenarios and something to watch for. Now, the same thing can happen with Colt Nichols, right? If Colt Nichols is not in the championship uh, run, which he's not, he's a great starter. He's on a really fast motorcycle. They could put him to the inside of Chase Sexton exactly the same way, and they can play exactly the same game. And for uh, Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki, and if you're an Austin Forkner uh, teammate or fan, they could do exactly the same thing, right? They still have talented guys on their team. Cameron McAdoo is a great starter, and he's been riding extremely well. So they could take Cameron McAdoo and put him to the inside of Dylan Ferrandez. All these games can be played. It's, it's just going to be a uh, an interesting dynamic to watch these guys jockey for position in that main event and in that starting position to see who goes where and if, if they do it at all. Maybe they won't. Maybe none of them will, just, will even worry about it and they'll just let the chips fall where they may. But if history repeats themselves, you know, itself, I've seen that happen a lot of times. And it's not dirty pool. I, I don't really think there's anything wrong with it. If your team has great starters, you should be utilizing that edge. You don't have to, to do anything negatively to your the guy you're competing against, but if you get a good start and the guy next to you is a championship contender, typically the guy next to you is not going to get a good start if you do. That's just how these things happen because the guy next to you can't really hold it on, hold the throttle on going into the first turn as long because you have the line and you have that space that he needs. So just something to watch for there. I do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli. Uh, it's just been an off, awesome effort by them. And uh, a lot of their racing is global, right? So they have the JGRMX team. And uh, it's been a tough run for those guys. We saw Amart on the ground again. Um, but yeah, they obviously are, are supporting that JGR Suzuki team and uh, seen some cool pictures of them in the pits and, and trying to get those guys dialed in. Obviously, when the MXGP series kicks back off here soon, they will be winning everything as they normally do. So watch for that. I think they have an August 5th date. So we're a little less than two months away from uh, Pirelli getting their MXGP on again. I want to thank those guys. I want to thank uh, Works Connection for all of their help. Check out that Pro Launch Start device. That thing's awesome. And if you want to get starts like you saw Jet Lawrence do, if you saw some of these guys rocketing out of the gate, if you see anybody getting a good start, it's typically from some sort of whole shot device. And if you're going to have a whole shot device, why not a pro launch start device? It's been around for a very long time. It has a proven track record. And honestly, there is nothing that can compete with a starting device for getting a good start period. So check those guys out. Also want to thank Blenzall Oils. Blenzall uh, has been really resurging. They're, they're back in this thing in a big way, helping Michael Essie in these uh, 125 dream races that are coming out this summer. I think he's going to absolutely dominate. So go get your uh, Blenzall Ultra. Go mix your mix and match your oils to build a case, which is pretty awesome too. Go buy uh, Blenzall merchandise and support companies that are supporting the sport. Also want to thank Plum Creek Funding. 
if you're in this market and I'm sitting here this morning, it's uh, in Boise time, it's 6.18 a.m. and I'm watching the Dow futures and it's pretty ugly. It is bloody right now. So what does that mean? It means that interest rates are going to stay low for a very long time because the government's going to continue to help the economy get back on its feet. That creates an awesome opportunity for you to refi your house or look to buy something new. So reach out to Plum Creek Funding. It's at Plum Creek Funding on Instagram. And Zach Morris is your guy. His cell phone number is 720-212-4685. And he can take care of you there. And and if nothing else, and I've said this every podcast, if nothing else, just reach out and ask questions, right? Knowing more is going to help you in these scenarios because there has never been a better time to buy our refi. That's not my opinion. That is fact. We've never seen interest rates this low in the history of America and low interest rates do nothing but save you money, period. That's all they're there for. They are trying to incentivize people to borrow money. But the good news is if you're in a position to get a better mortgage loan or to buy a house, you're going to get the best deal in the history of lending. That's awesome. So I've done the same and I encourage you to do so as well. I also want to thank Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, all your restoration needs. If you mention the industry seating podcast, you will get a 25% discount on your restoration. Please go check out at Premier Vapor Blasting and see what it's all about. They will take your parts or even like boots and stuff. They can really turn that stuff around and take stuff that just looks hammered and beat up and make it look brand new again. Take that old two stroke that you've been restoring during uh, this quarantine coronavirus and make that thing shine. So check out Premier Vapor Blasting. Also 612 Suspension. Ronnie Monk and those guys over there are a race tech affiliate and they do awesome work. So whether it's your dirt bike, your UTV, ATV, whatever it is, you want to get your oil changed. You want to revalve your suspension. You want to get it super awesome and get your forks coated. Whatever your needs are, you want to maximize the performance of your UTV that you're taking the family out on the weekends. Send your stuff over to 612 Suspension. Reach out to Ronnie Monk. His Instagram is at 6, it's S-I-X, the number 12 Suspension. And his cell phone is 813-714-2038. And just see what he can do for you. And if you mention this podcast, you will get a 20% discount off parts and labor. So that's a really good deal. And I appreciate Ronnie extending a discount to all of our industry seating listeners and getting your bike, ATV or UTV dialed in and ready to go. Last but not least, I want to thank Fly Racing. Uh, check out the Formula Helmet. We are precisely six weeks away from the 2021 line. That is going to be awesome. I've been out selling it into dealers, getting them all dialed in and ready and ready to order. But if you're ready to buy something right now, go to your local dealer or your favorite online e-tailer, as they say, and you can get great discounts across the board right now. We are we have everything discounted for fly racing, which we never do. We have fully map protected items throughout the year, but all of that stuff is on sale right now. So it creates a great opportunity for you to go out and get that fly racing kinetic mesh to keep you cool throughout the summer. So go check out everything that flyracing.com has to offer. Now, the couple more things before we wrap this thing up, going into this Wednesday's race, what are we going to see? For Eli Tomac, I think you're going to see more of the same. I think you're going to see him go for the whole shot. And if there's an opportunity to win, he's going to take it. But if there is not, you're going to see a more measured approach. If he has the chance to wrap it up, and that's probably going to take a win because he's going to need 
at least two to three points. And, and I don't know who I'm assuming he has more wins than Webb. So even if they tied, he would still get it. And I need to research that. But if he gets a three point gap, which if he wins the race and Webb gets second, that's 27 points. And this thing's over. It's done. He does not even need to race the final round, which of course he would, but he has, he would have over a, a full race winning lead. If he has that opportunity, he's going to take it because there is nothing sweeter than going into the final round, knowing it's over. You're it's wrapped. It's done deal. Cooper Webb, his charge is to do everything he can to disallow that from happening. And all he has to do is just beat Eli Tomac to keep this thing alive. Doesn't matter what place either of them get. If he beats Eli Tomac on Wednesday, this thing goes into Sunday for the final championship round with the championship still on the table. And what about Kenny Roxon, you say? Because he's actually in second place points, right? And some of you are probably screaming at your uh, speakers because I did not mention that. But yeah, he's in, he's in this thing just like Cooper Webb is. So he's in the same boat. He needs to beat Eli Tomac and he needs to beat Cooper Webb really to keep this thing going, right? He's, he's in the driver's seat for the runner-up spot. He's going to have to beat Cooper Webb. He's going to have to beat Eli Tomac at this, this penultimate round to keep this series going. So for all intents and purposes, it's, it's looking like it's kind of over. But it's not. It's really not. And go back to 2017. The series was much tighter. But look at the meltdown that Tomac had at the penultimate round in 2017. Now, I personally don't believe that we're in store for something like that again. I think Eli Tomac mentally is is much more sound and just thinking more clearly and handling the, pre- the pressure in a much more professional way. I, I just don't think he's as rattled going in as he was going into New Jersey 2017. And and I still don't know why that bothered him so badly in 2017, but he just appears different to me. He just appears much more stable than he did then. So I don't personally predict that, but Hey, anything can happen. This is why they hold the races. And if you're Cooper Webb and you're Ken Roxon, you have to try to force the issue. And I think Webb has been doing that. He's been pressuring Tomac and getting, getting aggressive. You watch that move in the first turn. That's pretty aggressive. So look for more of that because it's do or die for these guys going into uh, a round where Eli Tomac could clinch this thing. What's most likely to happen is Cooper Webb rises to the occasion, gets a win or gets second, beats Eli Tomac, and this thing goes into the final round still on the table. That's what I see happening just because I think Tomac will be hard-pressed to put it on the line like those other guys are going to be willing to. It's just very hard to force yourself into riding at that level where, yeah, you've got to take big chances because that's what it, that's, what's required to win. And I don't think he's going to want to do that. He's would really have to just ride out of his mind to ride past the subconscious, uh, reservations that you'll have. And I've just seen it so many times. It's very rare that these guys can ride with reckless abandon when the championship is all they're thinking about. It's going to be in there in the back of their mind, every second of the day, all week, you know, well, I shouldn't say all week. It's only going to be a couple days, but it's just this lingering effect that just hangs over you. And I've only been in that situation a couple times and that's for, you know, German championships and stuff, but it really does affect your psyche. It's, and it's hard to overcome. It's hard to think about anything else. And I think that'll just reflect in his riding. I think we saw a little bit of it on Sunday and I think you'll see more of it on Wednesday 
But maybe, you know, what do I know? Maybe he comes out and just dominates. There's always that chance too. So just something to watch for. And then the 250 East bounce back. Uh, I think you're going to see those two at the front. They're going to be going for it. And they are the two best guys. And they've proven that all series long. And it's going to be a show. Well, it's not going to be the showdown. But it's going to be a showdown between those two. To see who can go in with the advantage. Because if you look at it, if Chase Sexton wins, man, that really helps his chances. He could go in with a six-plus point lead to that showdown and really help his the risk level. But if they, if McElrath finds a way to win and let's say Sexton gets second, now they go in tied and holy crap, does anything go right? Anything goes for that final round. So the pure fan in me is hoping we see McElrath win and it's all tied up going into the showdown. But as we, you know, as we've seen, who knows with these two, they seem very, very close in talent and ability and uh, just on the level of each other. I don't think they're all that thrilled with each other. They've, they've been aggressive and they're riding towards each other. So maybe we see somebody on the ground. I don't know that. I think that would really throw a wrench into this showdown suspense. So I hope that doesn't happen, but another factor could be Colt Nichols jumping into the fray as well. If, if Colt Nichols could find a way to beat Chase Sexton and help Shane McElrath, that would really upset the apple cart too. So I'm a little bummed we don't get another West Coast round. We got, we're back to the East. I watched, you know, three East Coast rounds in a row, and I wasn't over the moon about the, uh, the depth level and it, just the racing past the top three get a little boring. But, hey, that's what it is. We will enjoy the lead at the front, and at least we have a championship battle to watch. So I will uh, I'll check myself on that because we have seen so many years where – we just don't have any any sort of suspense at the front. The championship's almost already decided, and we definitely don't have that. We have a lot of drama and a lot of uh, excitement for who's going to win this title. So try to find the silver linings in every, every scenario, and then uh, the 450 class has been great racing regardless of the points lead. So thank you to everybody for listening. Pretty short one today. I almost didn't do this this morning, but... Wanted to get this out for everybody who was expecting it and want to thank all the sponsors for listening and we'll be back. Probably knock another one of these out on Thursday and uh, yeah, these things are coming fast and furious and try to stay up to speed with the racing. We will have the Pulp Mech show tonight, of course. Steve is in Salt Lake and we will knock that show out tonight and uh, yeah, two more of these things and then off to Lucas Oil Pro Motocross we go. So thanks everybody for listening. Really appreciate all the support. I do have listener feedback questions to go over. I just didn't really have time this morning, so I appreciate those. Please keep sending them in. My email is jason36 at aol.com to send those in. I promise you I read them, and I promise you I have them saved. I just need to get around to getting these answered. So thanks again. See you on Thursday.